Welcome to Crate Digging, a podcast about record collections and their collectors. I'm your host, Dakota Arsenault, the music and creative associate for the soundtrack. On this episode, we have on DJ Waves. She is a Toronto-based DJ, and you might know her if you've heard her throwing parties at Budweiser Stage for Live Nation back when concerts were a thing, or her radio show on CIUT 89.5 FM where she spins hardcore and punk music, her awesome Spotify playlist, or anywhere else that you might have heard her music. Uh, She's also been on our sister podcast, Wavy, uh, hosted by Gemma uh, a while back. DJ Waves, thank you so much for joining me today. Let's flip through your collection. Oh my god hi what an intro <laughs> <laughs> so how are you today i'm good it's like a really chill rainy day i don't work today so i'm just hanging out at home listening to records that's as good. you do <laughs> <laughs> as one does with their days off yes yeah. I, I totally get that <laughs> uh but yeah let's uh let's get into this first thing i want to know is how big is your collection oh man um Start of the pandemic, I was like cataloging it on Discogs because that has always been a goal. And I got up to like 800, but there's still wow. more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a problem. <laughs> there's still more though. Um, I have about a thousand the last time I checked, but like I moved, I had a major move about three years ago and I kind of lost some stuff to my ex in the move. <laughs> And some of the stuff is still like packed away in storage, but like, I know I still have records. Like, you know, you think of that one title and you're like, I know I have that in my collection. It's somewhere. But uh, yeah, so I've got like 800 that are cataloged and in my hands, but about a thousand elsewhere. And then like, I'm continually buying records. So (laughs) the number is always changing. What? What's a couple hundred records between friends, right? I, yeah. <laughs> records are the best <laughs> gifts. <laughs> so during the pandemic, have you found yourself uh, buying more records because you've got time on your hands and you're just looking through online sites or have you kind of curbed that habit? I was at the beginning because um, I was trying to like support artists and bands that I like since I couldn't go to their concert. Because um, I mean, like bands really only make money through like merchandise sales and like live concerts streaming doesn't pay them <laughs> so yeah I was like buying a lot I, I got really friendly with the people at like Canada Post and FedEx they were just like oh there's another package for you here for you to pick up I was like all right sweet but uh <laughs> I've kind of curbed it now I started working at a record shop so I don't know if that's gonna make it worse or like help me control it but yeah <laughs> I'm just going to say that sounds very dangerous. I and know. As someone that also has a bit of a record addiction, just say goodbye to my paycheck if that was the case. Yeah, like you're basically working for free. <laughs> no, I haven't bought as many as I thought I would. I'll be honest. That's that's good to hear. You say you have about a thousand records. I got to know what's what's the origin story. When did you start collecting? Was it through family gifting you records? Was it you just picking them up one day? How did this all start for you? Yeah, uh, my family's like really musical. Um, my dad, I, <laughs> I still have my dad's turntable. Like it's like this JVC from the eighties, um, with like costs speakers. Uh, the only thing I did was like, I ended up buying my own new receiver just to like update it and get, uh, like a preamp 
so it would sound better. But like, I have all my dad's stuff. And that's how my collection started too. Like he gave me his collection when I was, I don't know. I mean, like I was always listening to it when I was a kid. Like I vividly remember being like probably six, seven years old and like laying in the basement of my childhood home with like massive headphones and listening to like the American graffiti soundtrack. <laughs> um, so I just, I, I inherited all those records one day because my dad was like, I don't want them. You can take it. So like by the time I hit high school age, like 14, I was like, I, I need to like collect records. This is cool. So I had like my dad's Judas Priest records, the police, Sabbath, Zeppelin. Like my dad was very into uh, heavy metal and like local stuff like Teenage Head or Gatto. Um, yeah, so very similar to like my taste in rock. And it, it, it just it went crazy from there. <laughs> I guess that puts a, a new spin on the term dad rock, doesn't it? Literally. Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, that's that's a crazy way to inherit a collection and start off on the right foot where so many people have to like slowly work their way up. It's like, okay, yeah, I know I got to get Led Zeppelin. I mean, it wasn't a ton. Four. Yeah, like agreed, no? but it wasn't a ton of records. Um, and there was a lot of stuff. I mean, like I love my dad, but my dad's also very into like you know, metal and heavy stuff like that, or he's really into like crooners, like Patsy Klein and, um, you know, all that kind of stuff, like the American graffiti soundtrack, which I love, but like, there was a lot of records like that. And when I was 14, I was like, I don't want to listen to this, you know? So my dad was like, well, whatever you don't want, like, we'll just go donate it or sell it or whatever. And, uh, yeah, it was, I have maybe like 50 records to start with. It wasn't like I got mm-hmm. some big collection. <laughs> I don't know. That's still pretty good compared to most people where they started like, here's the three records that I have kept. (laughs) (laughs) They got like someone's name written on the jacket. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Now, if anyone hasn't checked out the article that you wrote on the soundtrack, I'm going to link to it in the show notes. You previously have written about your collection that you have and you share some fantastic pictures you're this badass rocker with all the types of stuff that you have. But I'd love to know, like, what really comprises a lot of your collection, if you can sort of reiterate that stuff. Yeah. Um, when I started collecting, so I, like I said, I was about 14. I really just bought what I liked. I didn't know that it was like, oh, you get Fleetwood Mac rumors, you get the Zeppelins, you get like, you know, all those like starter records. I was just like, cool what am I into okay like Arctic Monkeys and Queens of the Stone Age and do they have records awesome I'll buy them and I kind of still buy like that like there's some quote-unquote holes in my collection where I'm just like yeah I don't care like I don't have it in my collection it's I'm not actually gonna listen to something um or play it at a DJ gig then I don't need it. So it's very rock oriented, a lot of psych, a lot of garage rock, a lot of stoner rock. Um, Queens of Stone Age are my favorite. And like from there, it just like opened the floodgates to desert rock and like all that 90s stuff. So like Caius, Fu Manchu, Sleep. Um, Yeah. (laughs) A lot of sludgy doom type of stuff. And then to swing in the complete other direction because I DJ with records as well. Um, I'll have like disco 
and House, you know, like Lady Gaga Records and Mark Ronson and Dua Lipa and um, like classic House, Chicago House and like stuff like that. So like it's it kind of looks all over the map, but it makes sense to me. No, oh, yeah, that does make sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like people still like get really surprised when I say I listen to something because I get that I project a very like rock and roll rough image but like that's really only half of me so like yeah i've got all these like weird house and disco and like pop and you know like and stuff like lizzo and um like mainstream type of stuff that people are just kind of like you you listen to that you know that and i'm like yeah i love it (laughs) (laughs) you have to be able to dance too right yeah totally makes it fun (laughs) now do you have uh, a, a prized possession or maybe a couple records that you really are like, these are my favorites in my collection? Yeah. Um, well, okay. So all of my Queens of the Stone Age stuff, they're like the one band that I'm like, I'm going to get every pressing. Like I have, you know, four versions of villains, for example, because they did like uh, an indie store exclusive, a black Friday record store day exclusive. There's a deluxe one. There's this, there's that, you know, like that's the one where I get a little crazy. Same with like Jack white. Cause third man records does all those kooky pressings with etchings and stuff. So, uh, if they're like a really, you know, favorite band of mine, I get nerdy like that. So I love those. I actually, a couple of years ago, I found an OG pressing of, Queens of Stone Age self-titled like that came out in the 90s I found it in, wow. in a used bin for 25 bucks and it's worth like 400 plus dollars like I was walking around the record shop like <laughs> like somebody must know like you know kind of almost like hiding it like I can't believe I got this <laughs> um so that was really cool and then I've got um a soundtrack called vampiros lesbos sexadelic dance party <laughs> it's uh, That's a great title i know like it's already your new favorite record um i'm really into like b movies and exploitation films um like italian giallo films stuff like that so yeah it's the soundtrack to this 70s um horror movie about vampires and it's like a german movie and the music is just like this weird orchestral library music like kpm music if you know what that is um yeah it's it's the funkiest grooviest weirdest most awesome thing ever and it was really hard to find for a long time but i finally found like an og press on discogs and yeah (laughs) half the people that i tell them about it they're just like what the hell is that and i'm like i don't care it's it's my favorite thing and the fact that i have it i just like i play it all the time it's great wow that's <laughs> awesome now speaking of all these ones that you love do you have any holy grails that one day you would love to get your hands on that you just have not been able to find whether due to cost or availability Ooh, that's a good question like are um, you missing anything from your queens of the stone age collection <laughs> I am. Um, But I'm not like so crazy about it. I found some actually during lockdown. They did a run of like 45s during uh, like the era of Vulgaris and Lullabies to Paralyze uh, eras. They did these really cool 
45 picture discs and um, just like really cool packaging that like goes along with that whole B-movie aesthetic. So I've been looking for those. They're not very expensive. They're just kind of hard to find because it was like a limited run. So I just kind of always scroll through Discogs and see if someone's selling it. And yeah, Um, I don't know. I don't think there's anything like too out there or crazy that I'm like dying to have. I'm sure something will come up though. I always like to get um, like a unique type of pressing, especially if an artist has something directly for sale on their site. Uh, I've got this one record by like Twin Temple, for example, they did like a black glitter wax that was for sale on their site and it came in a velvet sleeve was just like this yeah just like this crazy packaging and it was like an an online store exclusive so i was like okay i I gotta have that because like nobody else is gonna have it it'll just be cool and yeah stuff like that's neat other than everything josh home related do you have any other artists that you like really serious try to collect their stuff jack white like i said um a lot of the third man pressing stuff is pretty cool um especially now that they're doing a lot of reissues like i know sleep just got a bunch of stuff redone on his label um or like jack does a lot of the live from the floor at third man so those live records are really fun um arctic monkeys i buy a lot of their stuff i have like so many 45s by the Arctic Monkeys. I like it. It's ridiculous. They take up almost like an entire 45 box. <laughs> I've really been getting back into like library music. Uh, like the KPM library just got reissued on Be With Records. So I've been slowly adding those to my collection. And just like, obviously, as you learn more, you, you you open the gate to something else. It's like, Oh cool. And this is my new obsession. So now I need to buy all of this stuff. So more things to throw my money at. <laughs> it's a dangerous rabbit hole. Yeah. I understand that. Now, speaking of your, your DJing uh, career as well, I'd, I'd love to know, I was going to ask you, do you ever play with records? And you already mentioned that you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you're traveling to shows with records, how do you know what to pick out to bring? Yeah, uh, I don't do every set with vinyl. Um, A lot of my sets are done with a computer and like Serato because it's just easier. And especially with the type of crowd that I know I'm going to have there, it's easier to be using MP3s. Um, So when I do DJ with vinyl, it's a really specific set. Um, It's typically like a dive bar set, you know, like something at like Bovine or... um, I was doing handlebar in Kensington market pretty frequently. Um, Yeah. So it's a very specific type of crowd. And I try to, I try to uh, package the night to be like that as well. So like, you know what you're getting. It's usually like really rough, sleazy, grungy, like hip shake and rock and roll. Um, Obviously like still danceable and still, you know, and still party and like I slip in disco records and stuff like that here and there but like yeah almost kind of just like in my head I'm always like I want it to be like you just rolled up to some cool old juke joint like you know you're wearing a leather jacket and your hair slicked back and like 
you're just, you're seeing a cool live band and this is like what's playing on the jukebox in between. So like I'll play stuff like George Thorogood <laughs> and, and <laughs> uh, you know, like Detroit Cobras, um, the Oblivions and stuff like that. Like I, I don't, I'll do a bit of dab rock. Like, you know, I'll play like some Zeppelin and stuff like that, but then like T-Rex and Bowie. Um, I use a lot of those library records as well. There's uh, a lot of soundtracks that I keep in my crate as well. Soundtracks and compilations usually are what I bring because there's just so many options on it. And like people, people are always like questioning why I DJ with LPs. They think I'm crazy. They're like, oh, like you're a 45 collector because you're a DJ. I'm like, no, like most of my collection is LPs and I just, I bring two crates and then like two crates of LPs and then one little 45 box um because basically i mean songs are about three minutes long you play about 20 songs in an hour um give or take so about two crates worth and like i'm solid for a four-hour set uh mm-hmm. yeah and then like a lot of you know i've got like the quentin tarantino soundtracks because that's like very lined up with what i play so things like that um yeah compilations like the nuggets compilations are really cool they like focus on um different time periods or musical scenes you know like there'll be one for say like the california scene in like the 60s and it's just all a bunch of bands from then um and and like that's kind of how i started my collection too like once i was buying records for myself, not just from what my dad gave me. I bought a lot of those Nuggets compilations because it was just a really cool way to find new music. Um, Because it it would just be like someone made you a mixtape, you know, there's like 20 songs by a bunch of different artists. And, you know, if you're like, oh, I'm into punk music, here's a punk comp. It's a great way to find out new artists. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. and, And then it makes it easy for DJing. And yeah. Cool. Do you find you have to bring uh, a little bit extra as far as your records? So you say you bring two crates full. Yeah. Is that more than you need? So that way you can sort of read the room a little bit like, oh, the crowd's kind of feeling this a little bit more or feeling yeah. that a little bit more so I can switch it up? Totally. And I mean, I, I plan my set, like quote unquote plan it. Um, like I, I sit and I, you know, like in my head, like I know the BPMs and stuff like that, or I make a little note on it. I'll be like, side a track four and it's like you know 110 bpm or whatever i make little like post-it notes Mm -hmm. like that so i could i could mix it properly but uh i'll i'll break it up kind of into sets like here's a chunk of records that would be really good if people start dancing and really want to you know they just want to like tear up the dance floor so I'll, i'll have a chunk of like disco and some house you know i've got like some like justin timberlake remix records and stuff like that um or like Catronata things like that I, t- I still I try not to get like too mainstream I, I don't want to end up sounding like a radio station or mm-hmm. you know some like super generic playlist but uh yeah just something that's fun or like really cheesy stuff like if you get into like a really cheesy 80s segment that always goes over well 
So yeah, it's kind of like that's awesome. Yeah, I, I kind of almost like pick my records as if I'm doing like all these little mini sets. And then depending how the night goes, it's like, okay, I'm going to do this mini set. So like I go over to this crate, I pull out those like seven records and like that's in my queue. And then, okay, we're going to go to this section. And yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I find like no matter how cool or how hard you are, whatever it is, if like a good disco song comes on, it doesn't matter what club or venue you're at, people are going to get up and dance to it. Yeah. I fully believe that no matter where you are, no matter what the crowd is, you can play literally any song as long as you frame it properly. Mm. Like as long as you have sandwiched it properly and you have built the set in the right way. Cause like, that's the thing with DJing. People are always like, Oh, like what's in your playlist? What's in your playlist? Like it's not a playlist. DJs work very hard to be knowledgeable of what is in our library and, uh, what a crowd would be into and like reading a crowd and we tell a story, you know? So like we're arranging everything so that there's an order to it and there's a storyline to it and you got to come along for the story. Like if you miss a song, we're not going to just replay it because it's going to break the flow. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, (laughs) it's like being in a movie theater and like, you miss a scene like you're, you're screwed. You missed that part of the movie. You you might not understand where it went now. Like, why are we playing disco? But like, you know, you just, you got to go along for the ride. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No, I understand. (laughs) What would you say are are maybe some of the biggest differences or challenges you find when playing sets with, with records versus digital? With digital, I always get a lot of requests (laughs) and and it's good and bad because like, Sometimes it's a great way to um, get a feel for what the crowd is wanting. Like if if a bunch of people start coming up to me asking and they're all kind of asking for similar, you know, like I want Britney Spears, I want Spice Girls, I want whatever. It's like, okay, maybe, maybe we're going to do some throwbacks for a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. But also that can be kind of annoying because then people are just constantly asking you stuff and you can't focus on what you're doing vinyl people kind of just let you do your thing which is cool i think people um respect that djs use vinyl they're just like oh that that's cool like i'm not gonna bother them uh like and and they get that we can't just like pull something out of thin air so like you don't really get requests there's maybe the odd time where um they'll be like super specific they're like oh well like you're playing sabbath like do you have Judas Priest in there in your crate somewhere and if you have it you play it and you nerd out together but yeah it's just it's more chill when you do vinyl and I I feel like people appreciate it a little bit more so a lot of people don't do it either it's it's kind of Mm -hmm. like a lost art at this point I feel like no, I find when I'm at a, like a bar or a club or something like that, and I notice that the DJ is playing actual records, mm-hmm. I almost feel like if they've got like, if you're at a, a bar and you've got like TVs up on the screen where it's showing the hockey game or whatever, and normally I'll be watching that. If I see a DJ is actually playing records, I'll almost stop and like spend a good portion of my evening watching the DJ yeah. just because it's, <laughs> it's just such an art of watching them time everything and listening to the crowd and listening to their headphones, to make sure that they're matching everything. Yeah, totally. So it is, it's so impressive. It's so impressive when you see a DJ that can do that well. Yeah, it, it's hard. I mean, like I'm still figuring it out. I'm still learning. It's, yeah. You never stop learning. Well, that's all good. <laughs> <laughs> 
Now, speaking of spending all of our money at record stores, uh, when you walk into a record score, when you walk into a record store, do you know what you want or are you just kind of like, let's go through ABC, let's flip through everything, see what they've got. Let's see what I don't mm-hmm. have that sort of thing. I have a, a never ending list on my phone of records that I want. <laughs> um, same with on my discogs. I've got like the want list and I use that pretty frequently. So I always check those. Um, if I'm prepping for a set, you know, I've got stuff in mind and I'm like, I'm going in and I'm getting this and and that's it. So, uh, usually that, but like, I always, always, always check out the used bins because that is where you find gold. Um, Mm -hmm. and a lot of times like people don't realize what is in there. Like I have found, I've pulled out used records for like 20, 30 bucks and they're autographed, but they're priced so low because people are like, well, who is this band? Like, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and you just find really cool stuff. And especially if you have, like, your favorite record stores, you get to know, like, when they get their shipments and stuff like that. You know, you can you can plan, like, okay, I'm going to go in weekly and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see what's new on the floor and scroll through all of it. And sometimes uh, you can tell that, like, there was a psychedelic guy that just sold his entire collection. So there's a bunch of it there. And uh, yeah, it's just always fun to dig through the used sections. It takes a lot of time and you got to be really patient, but the reward is worth it. Yeah. That was something I was going to ask you about is, is when you're flipping through a used selection at a record store, what sort of things are, are you looking to pop out for you? Because you obviously have no idea what's going to be in there. You know what's mm-hmm. going to be in the new releases. You can predict that. But when you're going through the used record selections, are you looking for something that like you've maybe heard of or specifically that you've had your eye on for a while and you've just been waiting for it to show up? Like, What are you wanting the, the, the collection to speak to you about when you're going through it? Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's just something as simple as like, I've been listening to, you know, a Roy Orbison record a lot like lately on Spotify and all of a sudden I'm like oh this is actually really good I wouldn't mind getting this on vinyl so like if I happen to see it you know I pick it up um mm-hmm. stuff like that or if it's got a really cool cover I have bought stuff not knowing what it is but I liked the artwork and I'm usually never disappointed uh <laughs> so yeah sometimes it's cool to just not uh worry about what you're buying and just just go along for the ride it's like a magical musical Mm -hmm. mystery tour (laughs) uh and then the odd time there's some things that come up where it's like a specific pressing um like say for example like the rolling stones some girls there's like multiple pressings of it and like the original pressing it had all these faces of Uh, girls on the cover and they were pictures of like famous people and I think it was like Lucille Ball like really caused a ruckus about it being like why are you using my photo like you didn't ask so they had to reprint all of the records and they put new jackets on it that just had like the stones faces or they were like a, a blacked out face but so if you get that original pressing with like Lucille Ball and all those other women that's worth more So, like, little things like that that, like, you start to just, like, become knowledgeable about as you get into records. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Yeah. Or like certain stuff that's on a record label. Sometimes I don't know a band or artist, but I can see that they're on a record label that I like. So I'll buy it and I usually like it. Mm -hmm. Do you look for things like test pressings ever? Is that something that you have in your collection Mm -hmm. or is this just like, that's a completely different world? Test pressings are cool. Um, I would only buy it though, if it was a band that I, I really enjoyed. Um, you know, if it's like a Tame Impala or, or something like that, or so actually, yeah, Tame Impala is a good example. I've bought a lot of stuff that he's done. Um, I have some test pressings and like some remix stuff. There's like an Errol Alkin remix. It's just like a 12 inch. Um, it's not even really like that great of a remix, <laughs> but like I, I had to have it in the, in the collection. It was just a cool thing to add. Um, I try to stay away from colored vinyl, actually. The wax that they use for colored vinyl isn't very good. It looks really cool, but it wears out quicker. And the sound quality, uh, it, it gets worse quicker than black wax would. So, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Interesting. Are you comfortable sharing the most you've ever spent on a single record? <laughs> if you know it. I think... You know what? I haven't even actually spent it myself. So there was there's that OG press of Queens of Stone Age. It's worth a lot, but I bought it really cheap. And then uh, <laughs> one of my ex boyfriends bought me a uh, alternate pressing of Lullabies to Paralyze. That was like a limited run. It has like a completely different cover. And uh, I had wanted it for a really long time, but I couldn't justify spending the money on it. It was about like $175. And wow. uh, yeah, he bought me that for my birthday at one point. So I never ended up buying it, but like, <laughs> so yeah. Well, that's close enough. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I mean, I was gonna buy it, but like, yeah, I didn't have to. You had to wait for that tax return to come in. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, man, when I when I was in university, all literally all of my OSAP money went to records. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, if you if you knew you eventually want to be a DJ, that is an investment in your career. Right. That's how I always justify it. I'm like, I'll just write it off. It's fine. It's supplies. <laughs> <laughs> now, speaking of you being an artist and you wanting to support other artists, when you go to concerts, do you try to pick up the records of the bands that are playing if you don't already have it? Yes. Hundred percent. That's like my favorite merch to buy, more than a T-shirt or anything, because it's like unique too. Um, mm-hmm. Artists always have specific stuff. I find that they sell directly through their website or like a tour exclusive, um, and also like the money goes directly to them, which is really important to me. Um, yeah, it happened recently. Actually, I saw the Distillers at the Phoenix like before the pandemic happened and uh, Brody doll had a side project called spinneret and I'd been searching for those for a while and they were just at the merch table, like some 45s, the picture disc and colored 45s of spinneret at the distillers merch table. And like a lot of people didn't like, I was like watching and like people weren't buying it. And I'm just like, what the hell? Like people, do you know how much (laughs) these records go for online? Like, crazy so i bought them and they were like 20 bucks i was so happy and like i play them all the time now <laughs> so yeah I, I think it's really cool to find unique merch like that 
do you do you find yourself waiting around after the show is over to get it autographed at all or is it just kind of like a just buy the record and enjoy the show type of person uh, i'm like i mean if i like know somebody in the band already then it's like whatever or if i if i'm like working at the show and like it happens that's amazing and like super serendipitous but like i try not to like fang girl like that too hard there's been there's been times where like you know you just like go out to like smoke a joint or whatever and like some of the band is there like if it's a smaller band at like lee's palace or something and then like you talk and oh like i just got your record like can you sign it so like if it's organic (laughs) if it's organic like that then sure but like i don't go out of my way to like try and make it happen it's too weird that's fair (laughs) that's fair (laughs) <laughs> no, I understand that. Uh, so if you're having people over, obviously in non-COVID times, oh, yeah. not family, just sort of like friends or acquaintances, what sort of records are you likely <laughs> to throw on to kind of like set the mood? Ooh, good question. Um, a lot of comps. A lot of comps and soundtracks because they're like an easy crowd pleaser. Um, library music, again. As I've said, like one of my favorite things. It's like a weird world of library music, but a lot of people seem to like it. It's just kind of like easy listening. A lot of it is instrumental. So it's like good background noise. When you have guests over, do you let them touch your collection and turntable? Or is it strictly uh, you tell me what you want to hear and I'll play it sort of thing? Uh, I mean, I also don't really have a lot of people over. Like, I'm pretty... I'm pretty... uh, much a hermit so like i've just got like my <laughs> tiny little close friends and like it's fine if they like i'm not the type of person to host a house party i'm more likely to go to mm-hmm. it so yeah if it's just my friends over we'll, we would like sit on the ground and like go through my collection because like they're equally as nerdy <laughs> but uh how do you organize all your records is it all alphabetical or do you like use like genres like how do you do it yeah i just do alphabetical and that's it Okay. I, I probably should do something else, like genreify it or whatever, and I, I probably will at some point. Um, but I've kind of just left it as is. Um, I, I think in my mind, I'm like, I'm just going to wait until I move again, and then I'll deal with it. Because like my plan is, the next time I move, it's gonna that's going to be like a longer term home where I could like really settle down. So then, you know, I'll get the record room going. <laughs> Are you able to talk about what your your setup kind of looks like right now? Yeah. Um, I've just got, like, the JVC from the 80s. It's like a, a direct drive. Um, so, yeah, just, like, super standard classic. It's, like, pretty thick. It's like a brick. It's pretty indestructible. <laughs> um, I just change the needle every once in a while. Uh, I've got cost speakers. Um, they're pretty old school as well. I think they're from like the eighties or nineties. Um, like you have to actually, they like connect to the receiver with like wires. So like that's how they get powered. Um, you have to like screw it in. Yeah. You got to screw in the little wire and yeah, but like they sound better. They sound richer, you know? Um, and then I've mm-hmm. got a Teak audio receiver um so like i could plug in 
you know, whatever else to it. It's like I bought it because as my collection grows over the years, I'm able to change my setup easily. Like everything's interchangeable. Um, yeah, because like I'll probably update my speakers somewhere down the line. Like once I, you know, move again or whatever and set up more of like a studio. I don't have turntables for DJing, funnily enough. Um, when I was like starting to DJ with records, I was taught by somebody and uh, they had like a legitimate record room, like floor to ceiling records. Um, and they had all this stuff and they like taught me everything. So I was just like always at their house DJing and then digital DJing took over my life. And so I kind of just like didn't um, invest in turntables for DJing. I still haven't, (laughs) which sounds really bad, but like, whatever. It's not like I'm going to ever bring the turntables to a gig. Like I already have to lug crates of records. I am not lugging turntables. So if the bar doesn't have them, Mm -hmm. I'm not DJing. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's, that's fair. I feel like the records are heavy enough. You don't really want to bring something as delicate as a turntable and hope that yeah. it doesn't like get. It's too much, and I mean, fall on something. I have enough DJ friends that have turntables anyway, and so like if we're hanging out, I just use theirs. Like I've never had a mm-hmm. situation where I was like in dire need of buying like some twelve hundreds or whatever. But I'm sure it's going to happen at some point soon enough. Do you find, as someone who has other DJ friends, do you find that DJs? can get a little precious about their gear as far as being like, mm, you make sure you use this right. You have to do it this way, that sort of thing. Or like, are they like, Hey, you know what you're doing? Do your thing. I mean, I, I definitely know of people that are like that, but, um, I, I try and stay <laughs> away from them. No, like all my, all my DJ friends are pretty cool. <laughs> that sounds horrible. Um, no, but like a lot of my DJ friends are really cool. Um, I have a lot of female DJ friends, which is, so badass um yeah and like we're all just really supportive of each other and really open to like sharing knowledge and teaching each other stuff and nerding out and talking about stuff so and I think that's the way it should be like music is meant to be shared it's not like a gatekeeping experience and yeah you shouldn't like put all this stuff up on a pedestal you should enjoy it and share it that's cool now, we were talking about going to record stores and flipping through and all this sort of stuff. You got to tell me, what's your favorite record store to go to? My favorite record store ever. Or several. Oh, God. I mean, my absolute favorite is Amoeba Records, but that's in California. So I only get there like once a year. Um, and I just love it because it's like the Walmart of record stores. It's massive. If you've ever mm-hmm. been to Amoeba in Hollywood, <laughs> it's great. It's like multiple floors and there's books, there's t-shirts, there's posters, like really well curated stuff. Like if there's anything to do with music, they will sell it. And they tend to have a lot of things that are geared toward my interests. So like I said, I'm like super big into stoner rock, desert rock, um, psych and garage and a lot of the bands I'm into are California based or they're on a label that, um, you know, is based out of there. So it's easy for me to find used records at Amoeba that directly correlate with my taste. 
Um, like I've, I've found 45s by like obscure desert rock bands that like I just cannot find elsewhere because it it's clearly like the band had you know 50 of them and they gave them to the local record store to be like here sell this um yeah so yeah those are like some cool gems to find um I work at cops records so like I'm biased um but like I legitimately was always shopping at cops beforehand I used to I went to school down at OCAD and so the old cops location was literally around the corner from campus and I would just go on my break. Um, yeah. Rotate. This is pretty cool. They've got like some wicked used stuff. Uh, played a record in Toronto is great for a DJ because they really, they really curate to a DJ and an audio file. Like they sell the equipment um, mm-hmm. and a lot of, like hip hop and dance and like really cool remixes, um, jungle, like all that type of stuff that like you just can't really get anywhere. So yeah, I think it's cool. It's like important to find, like figure out what you're into music wise and then find the right store that curates to that. And then, yeah, just shop there all the time and support local. Now, uh, I I guess sort of the last thing I want to ask you about is, without you don't have to name any names what sort of makes a good record store stand out from one that maybe isn't as good i think community is everything um i mean record stores are mom and pop shops you know they're small businesses and so you really get to know the personalities and i think that's super important um finding people that on staff that you just gel really well with is super important. Um, Yeah. Like being able to build that relationship of being able to walk into a shop. Like when I started collecting, like I'm from Hamilton originally. And so cheapies records, which no longer exists. um, Cheapies was my go-to spot. Cause like that was it. It was cheapies and Dr. Disc in Hamilton. And the people that worked at cheapies were just cool. I mean, there, I didn't see any girls working, which sucked, but the people that were there were just like stoked on music and they didn't gatekeep it. And I never felt stupid asking a question or, um, you know, picking up a certain record. It wasn't like, Oh, am I uncool for listening to this? Like, no. And they were just super chill about it and happy to talk about music, which is, most important thing like you just you should never judge people on music it's meant to be shared it's meant to be enjoyed and like your least favorite band is somebody else's favorite band so like you know don't be a dick about it (laughs) that's a that's a fantastic way to put it uh waves thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today thanks for having me people find more of your music more of your work if they want to follow you learn more about you what's the best way to do that yeah um you can find me on Instagram at dj.waves. So like a beach wave or a sound wave. <laughs> um, and on my Instagram, I've got links in my bio to all of my stuff. I'm on Spotify as DJ Waves. Um, I curate a lot of Spotify playlists. Um, I put out monthly playlists all the time. Uh, my website is www.djwaves.ca. I've got links to all my stuff there. Um, 
yeah, I just, I pump out a lot of Spotify playlists and then I do some cool writings about music here and there for blogs. So you can find that on my website. Fantastic. I'll make sure that all gets linked in the show notes. Uh, Thank you once again so much for taking the time to talk to me. Thanks so much. This was so fun. This wraps up this episode of Crate Digging. Make sure to visit thesoundtrack.ca for more great content. Let me know what you're currently spinning. Make sure you are subscribed to the show and listen right when that needle drops. Crate Digging is produced by Gemma Mastriani and Dakota Arsenault and is a soundtrack production. Music is by Jared Burke and graphic design by Stephanie Pryor. Thanks for checking us out.